Welcome to another episode of the Redeemed Man Podcast. The goal of the Redeemed is to provide a supportive community where all men can open up about challenges, worries, and failures, and celebrate their triumphs over those struggles. We hope you find this episode informative, relevant, and most of all, inspiring. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Redeemed Man Podcast. I'm Nathan DuBerry, the director. And today I have uh, David Griffin. Uh, David is a restaurant operator uh, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, Chick-fil-A that he has down there. He and I grew up in the same uh, small town in Alabama, so we have that connection in common. Thankful for David and uh, glad to have you on as a guest today. Hey, thanks so much. It's good to catch up. Great to, uh, great to be a part of this. We'll look forward to it. We're going to start out today with some rapid fire questions just so uh, our guests get to know you a little bit, and uh, these just go with go with your gut when I ask these. But um, right. favorite vacation spot? Montana. Favorite memory from childhood? Mm, high school football. Favorite restaurant when you're not eating at Chick Fil A? Oh gosh, my wife's cooking. I, I don't know. She just it's. I, I want to go home and have a home cooked meal. Love it. What uh, verse of scripture has been one that's your go to? Oh, you, you got me on that one. Um, I, I love Truett's, um A good name is rather to be had than great riches. I think just in our society, I, I mean, I, it, it's meant a lot to me. We've been very fortunate. And uh, yeah, I think that's my go-to right now. So outside of your family, who, uh, what person's had the most impact on your life? Uh, I've been very fortunate to have been surrounded by some great leaders. Uh, the one that really comes to mind is a guy by the name of Matthew Pless. And uh, he just, when I was in college, he led some focused men's development groups. And uh, it kind of put me on the path that I'm on now where I learned how much I enjoyed uh, leadership development and kind of modeled my methods after his. So Matt's probably probably the number one guy. Great. Thanks for asking or answering those uh, rapid questions. We'll kind of shift gears now. Uh, we always start our podcast with asking our guests, what does redemption mean to you? And part of that is just because, again, we're all about uh, redemption, what that means in men's lives. So, And it, even though there's a theological answer to it, there's always a personal answer. Yeah, uh, that's there's the Sunday school answer, and I can give you that. I can quote scripture. I can look it up in a dictionary and tell you those things. But, like, for me, redemption is making things right, like— when I think about our relationship with the Father, I mean, sin has separated us from Him. Redemption is making that relationship right. Um, we talk about redeeming qualities in people's lives, and it's it's getting things back that are how they're intended to be and how they're healthy. That's, that's kind of that's my own internal answer. Just making things right, you know. Great. Uh, along with those lines, thinking about redemption and a personal redemption. Can you tell me and, and our listeners a little bit about your own journey of faith and how you've yeah. come to grow in your relationship and then also how you how you ended up being an, an, a Chick-fil-A operator? Uh, a lot of people ask those questions, have that desire. It's amazing the number of people go, hey, I'd love to do that one day, but they often <laughs> don't understand the full process. So I'd love for you to share a little right. bit of your journey of faith and then yeah. how you end up being a business owner. Yeah. Um so very fortunate that I was raised in a, a home where it was expected you go to church on Sundays. And so, uh, you know, my parents, um, my mom's a church organist for 30 years. My dad was a deacon. He still is. Uh, my brother's a deacon, the same church we grew up in, in that small town in Alabama. Um, 
so just growing up, going to church was a part of life. Um, but I really didn't start to explore my own beliefs until, you know, late high school, early college, um, because it was just normal, you know, and, and I never questioned what I believed. Um, in college, it was kind of, hey, well, why do I believe this? And so spent several years uh, bouncing around to different uh, denominations, just trying to figure out, okay, is this what I really believe? And, um, you know, th- there was never a quote-unquote moment, um, but just, I guess, life experiences. Um, you're familiar with the, the friend that we both lost in high school my senior year. Um, that was the first time that I had experienced loss. Um, uh, he passed away tragically from injuries sustained in a car accident. And that was the first time I ever questioned, you know, okay, what is this life after death? You know, we're not immortal. You know, we, we're, we're human. Things can happen. And I think that was the first time I ever questioned it. And then um, I've always believed in the Trinity. I've always believed Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I, at this day, I've never questioned it. But I guess it was, why do I believe that? And uh, so spent a lot of years in college and we talked about Matt and just I was fortunate to have some mentors who just walked me along the growth process. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've experienced things. Uh, my wife had some precancerous scares um, early in our marriage. Um, you know, there's things that I have prayed about that didn't come to fruition. And, you know, I would ask why. And as you age, you know, it's. Your perspectives change. You know, and I think when we stay grounded in that faith, even when it's hard or we don't understand it, I think God molds those perspectives to where we have deeper understandings. And where we don't understand, I think we have an acceptance of, hey, this is something I may not understand for a while, but I've learned to trust that God has a plan. And I've, I've found the most fulfillment and the most joy in life when I've tried to stay near to that plan. Um, obviously, made choices and th- decisions growing up that weren't always the best. but. Um, just always seem to find my way back to my faith, you know, and um, it's interesting. You, you kind of tie that to being an operator. Uh, I do believe God has callings in our lives. Um, something that we, we, we talk about um, my wife and I have a group we call the legacy group. Um, and it's, it's based around, and we'll talk about it in a minute, just like our calling of foster kids and community development, things like that. And our, our question is, what are you doing with the time, talent, treasure, and to me, the fourth and most important is your life experience, because, you know, you and I have talked, we, we've both been through some stuff and, you know, your listeners have all been through some stuff. And it's like, don't lose the value of your story. And so what yeah. are you doing with that story? And so um, I, I think God has a calling. And, and I think part of our responsibility is in seeking our to grow our relationship with Christ, what to find that calling. I think the world needs us to, to discover our calling, you know, because there's a purpose there. No, David, that that's so good, especially when you talk about story and, and how that relates. And I think it's essential for people to to find that their story has meaning because a yes. lot of times uh, they feel like, hey, the brokenness or whatever they've gone through, whether good or bad, maybe doesn't have purpose. But yet your story is woven into the story of God and and can be used in a powerful way to make an impact because we all relate to somebody else's story. Absolutely. We find ourselves in somebody else's story. So, so good. Absolutely. And it's just show me somebody who's never been through trials and show me somebody who's had things easy, per se. And I I think you're going to find it. They find it hard to connect to other people. Yeah. You know, and and we we talk about our callings in life. I think um, 
Stewardship is a, it's a very biblical principle. I think the, the thing that we are called to steward the most is our relationships. Yeah. You know, I mean, possessions, yes, those things are important. They're tools to further the kingdom. But, um, you know, Christ didn't die for our tools. He cried, he died for each other, you know? And, yeah. and, um, so, yeah. And I just, I, we talked about Matt a while ago and just his influence in my life at that age, I realized real quick that I wanted to do something that helped me develop others. And, um, I wanted to get into business. Uh, I studied engineering in college, uh, did graduate and undergraduate thinking I'd be an engineer, start up a firm, you know, have 20 or 30 people working in our organization. And, um, that's not the route I went. So, you know, engineering went straight into selling chicken, which fully qualifies you for nothing, you know, but, uh, um, but it, it, I say college taught me how to learn, you know, it proved that I could set out to do things that were hard academically. Um, but, uh, the calling was about people. And, uh, we, you and I have a mutual friend back home who had married, uh, someone who had become a Chick-fil-A operator and we ran into each other at Christmas one year. Got to talking, long story short, when I was in grad school, I started working part-time on the weekends for a guy in Birmingham, um, started the process, took me about five years to uh, be selected, uh, 13 interviews over five years, uh, ended up having to walk away from the public utilities company that I was working for, and uh, left a really good salary, and went back to making $11 an hour with no benefits, so... Uh, it, you know, it's a huge risk, and 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 we tell a lot of our staff, you know, sometimes the only person who's going to take a risk on you is you, and if you're not willing to risk it on you, don't ask anybody else to. And so, uh, I, I joke with my dad. Um, <laughs> he was deployed to Iraq when he found out I had quit my engineering job to go be an assistant manager at a quick service restaurant, and uh, he he struggled with that one for a little bit because uh, that's just not the natural progression. But um, I, th- I think he sees now it was the right decision. But the, b- the best part of being an operator um, is you get a lot of autonomy in how you run your organization. And I've chosen to focus my style on leadership development. Like, that's what I do. I sell chicken to develop leaders. That's my, that's my platform. Um, so that, that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah. But it wasn't quick. And I didn't start at the top. I took a very low-volume mall unit. That was uh, struggling, and uh, it's since been closed. But, um, you know, I, I joke that I'm a 20-year overnight success. Um, but, um, yeah, so that's how I got here. Yeah. And how, how long have you been now there at the Lake Charles location? We opened up uh, August of 2011, so we're coming up on 12 years. Yeah, awesome. 12 years. Yeah. Well, I know Lake Charles has uh, had its fair share of challenges in the last mm-hmm. few years, and then yeah. uh, service industry with covid I would love to hear as a leader, how have you navigated some of those challenges? Uh, what's been the most challenging about that season? Because uh, yeah. your community was really hurting. I mean, you guys had a mm-hmm. uh, major hurricane followed by another major hurricane, correct? I mean, it was yeah. we had We had um, five natural disasters in nine months, um, if, if you include COVID. So COVID started March of 2020. Hurricane Laura was August of 2020. Uh, it was a Category 4 when it came on shore. Uh, we lost our house and our barn. Um, uh, didn't think I'd be homeless at this point in life, but you know, that's what kind of happened. Um, uh, and then we had a um, pretty bad winter storm, which normally wouldn't have been an issue except for all the homes that had been damaged and nobody was there. When all the pipes froze, um, it put such a demand on the water system for the parish that homes no longer had water. So even if your house was working, 
you couldn't get water. So we went for over a week without water. So the, we called it just the winter storm. And then uh, a few weeks later, we had a flood. We had all the water we wanted. And uh, I'll never forget driving down the main highway, see, getting passed by a boat in the middle of the road, you know. And uh, I drive a pretty big truck, and I had water coming over the hood of my truck. And uh, it just, it, it was it was interesting. But, um, yeah, we tell people, you, you got you to gotta have some grit if you're going to live in south South Louisiana, you know, south Mississippi, along the panhandle. Um, I'm sure you got a lot of listeners in those areas. They know what we're talking about. It can be rough. It's not if the storms come, it's when they storm. And there's a lot of parallels for life there. So, yeah. Well, how would you lead your organization through that with the fact that you, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot going on with trying to balance what you needed to take care of at home, trying mm-hmm. to make sure everything was it was set with the business, uh, and yeah. then also caring even for your employees. Because I know mm-hmm. when you when you have a team, you feel like you're responsible and you're wanting to, to meet their needs. So how did you manage that season? Because I'm sure it would put a lot of strain on you. Uh, it, absolutely, yes. It, it was some of the darkest days of my life. And, and it was just because of there is that sense of responsibility for people who have been loyal to you and just who have helped get you to where you're at professionally. Um, I'll never forget asking Kimberly. I needed her to go back to Alabama, which is where we're originally from. And I'm like, I don't know how long you'll be gone, but I just need to let you do what I need to do. I need need you to let me do what I need to do. And I knew that we would have to focus on our team first. Um, Fortunately, Chick-fil-A has got an incredible support network. They came in and said, hey, don't worry about your facilities. We're good with that. Um, my, uh, my home office contact said, you take care of your team and your family. I'll take care of everything else. And so there's something to be said for just choosing to, who who do you surround yourself with? You know? And, um, but yeah, we, we, I knew my family was safe. Uh, they stayed with family and friends. They were gone for about six weeks and, um, we focused on first off finding our team. Uh, um, the Monday before Hurricane Laura, I had 114 on staff. And um, when we opened back up, I had 27. And it's because that many people had relocated. They were just gone. Uh, my team of 114 scattered to nine different states. Um, we had uh, insurance policies in place. And then just the Kathy family and the Chick-fil-A family were very generous um, to send funding. Our team never missed a paycheck. Um, the entire time we were closed, um, operators and Chick-fil-A family came in together. And if team members had a deductible for insurance for their home, they paid it. So none of our team members had to pay any insurance deductibles for their homes. Um, and it was just the spirit of going back and meeting physical needs. I spent the first couple of weeks driving around. I have auxiliary fuel tanks on the back of my truck for our farm, uh, making sure all of our team members who were here, had food, water, ice when we could get it. Um, Lake Southwest Louisiana, I've been to third world countries, so I can compare it. Southwest Louisiana became a third world country. There was no cell service. There was no power. There was no water. There was no fuel. Um, you couldn't get any of those things. And so we had to make sure the people that were here, we were meeting their physical needs. And uh, a lot of those people are still with us, uh, just in the way we were able to show care, but we were able to show care because of our support network. So just focusing on the people that that's where it started. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for serving your team that way. I know, um, you know, it's awesome to be able to take the lead and show initiative and to have an organization around you that comes and supports you as well. Um, obviously Chick-fil-A's rich heritage, faith background and, and, Mm -hmm. but 
when we're talking about faith in the workplace, no matter if it's an organization that's known towards faith or an organization that's not, us living out our faith daily in the workplace can be a very challenging thing. Yeah. How do you personally live out your faith in your work environment? Because I know it not only is, is there as leading your restaurant, but then also your wife is involved with businesses, your community involvement. How do you serve your community and impact through the work that you do and show your faith? Yeah. Um, we are very grounded in our church. And so um, we're, we're very public figures in the sense, like with the restaurants and her businesses, people know who we are just because we're, we're in a lot of circles. Um, our church is our main circle. And if people want to have those discussions, we are happy to share our faith with them. Um, we make it a point to not force it on anybody. Uh, I've just found that forcing just tends to have the opposite effect of what I'm looking for. Um, in our, in our business. So I've got about a hundred people on staff in our business. Um, I think it's just in the way we present ourselves to people. Um, I found most people don't want you coming in preaching the gospel, but they do want you to meet their needs and to let you, let them know that you care for them. And I think when you start to meet needs, whether it's, you know, the way you make people feel, uh, the way you help provide stability for them, and you can build those relationships to us. That's when we start to open up doors to where it's like, Hey, if people want to talk, they know they can come talk to us. They know, they know my beliefs. They know what I'm grounded in. Um, we try and be very consistent, you know, like things like you're never going to hear me yell at people. You're never going to hear me use language at people. Um, our team has learned to trust that we do have their best interest in mind. And I think when you, when people can trust that you do care for them, they're more apt to receive what you have to say and uh, making sure that we're not coming across judgmental. Uh, we have some people that live very different lifestyles than what I do. And while I, I may not think it's okay, I'm not there to judge them. You know, I don't think that's how I minister to people. It's more of, let me meet you where you are. And um, if you ask my opinion, I'll share that, Hey, I don't think this lifestyle is appropriate. I don't think these decisions are appropriate, but I don't just come charging in saying, hey, you're wrong. You know, um, I think people need to feel loved before they'll open up to you. And so it's how do we share the love of Christ without accepting sin, you know, without saying, hey, sin is OK. It's not, you know, but I think you have well, to. We've lead. all done it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yes. But I think you have to lead with love. And so a huge part of what we do is trying to understand people, um, you know, we have such a multi-generational culture in our business. I mean, I've got people in their late sixties. I've got 15 year old kids working for us. And so as leaders, I think we have a due diligence to the people who are in our organization to learn. And just because you're different than me, doesn't mean you're less valuable, you know? Right. And, um, but understanding the Y gen, the X gen, the millennials, like you've got to do research and bring in third parties to come in and teach you about what is this generation looking for? You know, I think that's how you start to show love to those generations. Well, that's a great segue. Cause one of the questions I've been thinking about is, is knowing that Chick-fil-A hires a lot of young people Yeah, and, and our culture, a lot of, there's a lot of negative said um, about the younger generations as a leader. Yeah. What are you seeing positive in the generation that's up and coming? You know, I'm guilty of having negative thoughts about young generations. I mean, 
when we were kids, we'd hear our grandparents say, well, my generation would have never done that. And I'm like, I'm in my mid forties. Now I'm saying, well, my generation would have never done that. And it's just like, wait, I'm getting older. You know, um, I think your youngest generations are some of the most capable people um, from they're much more able to process information. Multitasking is just how they survive. Not even survive. It's just how they are. Like they can do social media and academics and they can just intertwine everything together to where it is. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good at that, you know? And so I think the youngest generations are the most capable. Um, They communicate very different than middle-aged generations and older generations. You know, we, we talk about, um, Sometimes I'll ask, I'll have older people come in and say, Hey, I'm in my sixties or, you know, even seventies, you know, you wouldn't need anybody like me. And I'm like, Oh no, no, I do. Because what you know how to do is talk to people one-on-one, you know, um, they may not know anything about computers or how to serve 3,500 guests a day, but for that one-on-one communication it's phenomenal and they can influence the younger generation. Um, the younger generations are the ones who, if you give them a problem, they're going to be able to find a solution to it. Um, and it's probably not going to be through traditional problem solving methods. You know, we used to joke, Hey, you can just go Google something. Well, now they're so far beyond that. Um, sometimes I'm just trying to keep up with them. I mean, my six year old kid can do as much on an iPad as I think I can, you know, and it's just like, they're learning at such a faster pace. And, uh, it's up to us to learn to harness that talent. And, um, what they still need, though, is that one-on-one interaction from people who are loving and who do have their interest in mind. Because um, we do have a lot of young kids that they don't come from the best home life. You know, they don't have the best positive influences. I, I, you know, I use the analogy. I think that you're the summation of the five people you spend the most time with. And so if they're not getting that positive influence at home, are we able to provide it for them in their work environment? Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think we need to, I don't think we need to shun this, these youngest generations. Like they're, they're the up and coming leaders of tomorrow. We've got to learn how to influence them in a positive way, but recognize who they are and what they bring to the table. Well, leadership is influence. And uh, yeah. what I know you have people come and go in um, with employment. Mm-hmm. How have you seen your impact in people's lives long after they left Chick-fil-A? That's where, um, you know, we, we organizationally, we, we say, I, I think 99.9% of the people who come into my organization, we're a stepping stone in their life. You know, most people don't aspire to work in a quick service restaurant for an entire career. Those opportunities are there. And they can be very rewarding, but that's not what most people are pursuing. And so it's up to us to figure out what are you looking for? How can we come alongside and help you become the best version of yourself? And it really is about investing in people. And you may not become the best version of yourself while you're with me, but if we can impart the importance of always learning, always growing, valuing relationships, that's what I want them to carry when they move on. If that's what you get in your time with me, I feel like we've succeeded. Um, because not a lot of them are getting that outside of work. Uh, we talk about the value of people. We have to be careful when we say, hey, I don't think so-and-so is valuable to the organization. We talk about the value of the person and the value of their contribution. And we have to distinguish between the two. 
I think we're all created equal. I think Christ died for all of us. Um, and in doing so, you can't say, oh, so-and-so is no good. Yeah. That's where it's like, hey, your contribution is not what we're looking for. We love you. We value you. I cannot use your contribution. And so that's one example of how do we teach people to view others. And um, my hope is that they move on. They get into leadership roles. They get into academics, you know, teaching, the medical field, uh, legal field, whichever way they go, they still maintain the value of people. And that, that's what I'm trying to get them to understand. Awesome. I'm thinking about your leadership and thinking about the impact you're making. Um, love the what you're doing there with leadership. Who has impacted your own personal leadership the most? Um, it, it's, you know, we talked about Matthew. Um, yeah. I, I, and I think what was important with him is he did a lot of the one-on-one stuff. He wasn't afraid to challenge you. Um, he would he was transparent in his own struggles. You know, I don't want a perfect leader. I want authentic. I want somebody who has been through some stuff and has the life experiences. So I use Matthew. But then from a, a business standpoint, um, I try to find the people who are where I want to be in five to ten years. And uh, fortunately, a lot of Chick-fil-A operators um, are – successful in their home, um, share similar family values. Uh, yeah, I go back to Truett. I mean, Truett was a phenomenal guy. He, um, he was not easy to work for, but nobody questioned his heart. Um, he, he was big into valuing people. Um, anything from his wind-shaped homes to how generous he was to People who might not have had opportunities unless he could provide them for them, but he had high expectations for people. You know, it, it wasn't charity. He had high expectations, but his rewards were high and just how he treated people. Um, I was fortunate in his last few years of life, I got to spend some time with him and just ask him hard questions. And um, I had heard somebody at one point say, hey, when you're the most powerful person in the room, what do you do? And he goes back to, I think of Christ. And he's like, when Jesus washed the feet of those who served him, he really modeled servant leadership. And so guys like Matt, guys like Truett, seeing them value people and model servant leadership has been the biggest influencer in how I'm trying to approach my leadership roles. That's awesome. I think I see that in what you're doing with your family. You've also, you get, you and your wife have, fostered kids you've adopted some of those kids that you've fostered you serve in your community you've given tremendously to mcneese state Mm -hmm. i know there's other things that probably no one even knows that you've done to serve your community and i think that part of your stewardship that you mentioned earlier is something that people see and i think just as you mentioned that door opens to be able to share the why right and uh that when we serve the door opens for us to share the why we do what we do, the why we live the way we live, the why we uh, care for people and value people the way we do. So thank you for serving your community, for being the hands and feet of Christ there, for loving your employees well. Um, I know they see that. And um, how do you manage, though? Your wife is running businesses. You have a business. You have Kids, tell us a little bit about your kids. Then you know, I, I just I cannot imagine your life and how you keep it all uh, moving forward and and make sure that you're picking up the right kid from the right location. 
Hey, believe it or not, it's happened numerous times where that didn't happen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, we actually left one of our kids at daycare over an hour. We walk in and uh, three kids are at home and it's an hour past when daycare closes. And uh, we're like, where's Charlotte? And my wife and I look at each other like, okay, Charlotte's two. We're like, no, no. And like, that's all I said. I'm spinning tires, leaving the driveway. And I, I get to daycare an hour and 11 minutes past when they closed and bless her, the, the director was still there. She's like, I figured something happened. We're good. But yeah, we had left our kid at daycare well over an hour past they closed. But no, um, <clears throat> it's hard, but it's also easy. It's hard. Um, between the two of us, we have seven businesses that we own. Uh, our kids are six, five, four, and two. Um you just made some people pass out just by telling them that. Yeah. And they're all adopted, so they're all fostered. Um in the past six years, we fostered a total of 14 children while doing all that other stuff. Um, you know, going through the hurricanes, um, the natural disasters. Yeah, that's what I mean by it. it's hard. But here's the filter. Schedule what's important to you. There's only 24 hours a day. There's only seven days a week. Uh, I tell my team, it only takes me 29 hours a day, nine days a week to get it all done. You know, which means it's you're never going to get it all done. Uh, Matthew taught me, show me your calendar and show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities. Um, most days we have to ask the question, what's not going to get done today? I think a lot of people say, hey, what all can I get done today? We have to prioritize and say, hey, what's not going to get done? Um, it is important to me that I get my kids dressed in the morning, that I feed them breakfast in the morning, um, that I drop them off at school. So either Kimberly or I are doing one or the other. Um, she's a great mom. Uh, it is not easy. Uh, there's a lot of days when she she has hard days, you know, and I have hard days. Like if anybody thinks we don't, we've got you fooled, you know. Um, but there's got to be that tag team there of we both value the kids. Um, my work day will not start until they're all dropped off from school. If I need to get stuff done before then, I have to do it before they get up. So sometimes I'm getting up um, twice last week. I was up at 2 a.m. in the morning working. Um, I schedule around my kids. Um, I do my best to make sure my wife and I have date night every week. So tonight we're going to a college baseball game. Going to have a romantic hot dog and uh, just, you know, cheer on the McNeese Cowboys, you know. And uh, if we can't do date night, we try to have date lunch. So my, my wife is my priority, my kids are my priority, and I build everything else around them. And um, could we have grown faster in some of our businesses? Absolutely. Um, that also goes back to I rely on people. I do. Uh, my Truett, Truett's philosophy was hire the best people you can hire, trust them, don't micromanage them, you know, let them make mistakes. But when you spend your professional hours developing people, you, if, if they're honest and have integrity, they're going to run the business how you'd like to see it run. Will they always do things the way that you want them done? No. And that's okay. That's okay. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to get a result. And how we get there can be a hundred different paths. But um, yeah, I, I have found the more that I trusted people and the more that I empowered my team, the more our businesses grew. Um, at Chick-fil-A this year, uh, we'll have our best year ever by... Uh, it's a significant growth. It's our biggest year of growth so far, year to date. And um, my team is doing it, you know, and I give them 100% of the credit. 
they, they work really hard, but it lets me be dad, which is all I really want. I want to be dad. I want to be husband. And so schedule your priorities. You know, don't make excuses. Um, you'll never get all the work done. It's not going to happen. So, and your kids are only kids for a little while. You know, we were just talking about, I remember when your kids were born and you're talking about your oldest is 16. And I'm like, where did those years go? Um, our, my, my two-year-old will only be two for a little bit longer. And, and I'm already missing the things my six-year-old did. You know, he was my little buddy when we first got him. He was the first kid we fostered. And, um, I see how fast it's going. And I'm like, I'm not going to grow a business at the expense of missing out on age two, three, four, and five. You know, um, when I do business trips, uh, last week I was in Atlanta for three days. I took my six-year-old with me. Um, the time before that, I took my five-year-old with me. Um, they, they go with me. So they'll sit in chairs at the home office or wherever we're at, you know. And so um, we've got cots. i got a cot up under my desk here. Kimberly has cots at her office if we need to go get them from school. We, we drop what we're doing and we go get them. So just schedule it. Make it the priority and don't make excuses. You know, that's it. Well, I love how you guys are prioritizing your family and um, making sure that you're staying in check as a, as a couple too, uh, yeah. with date night each week. And cause I know at the end of the day with kids in business, sometimes it is the marriage that, that is sacrificed first, not intentionally, I think, but right. I think most people think they're strong enough or we don't need this time. And, and you guys prioritizing that is so key yeah. to creating a home life that gives those kids the security that they long for. Right. So right. It, it makes a huge difference. Um, as a dad, how are you preparing your kids uh, to live out their faith in the future? Who that that might be the biggest challenge of it all. Like I mean, it is because like I'm I'm, I'm still sinful. I'm still I'm still human. Uh, I have hard days, and you know, the people who you live with are the ones who see it the most. Yep. You know, because you come home and you can put on a game face all day long at work, um, but your kids see who you really are. You know, and and so the challenge is staying out in front of the things that trip me up, staying out in front of stress, staying out in front of the, the, you know, lack of sleep or things like that, because I know I tend to be at my lowest points when I let those things get out of whack. And so it's making sure that I'm caring for myself. Um, but then too, and even bigger, I mean, that's important, but even bigger than that is the consistency. Um, during COVID, we got out of church for a while and it's not that we were trying to get out of church, but like we just, we weren't meeting as a corporate congregation, you know, and, uh, I'm not really an online guy. So like there was about a year and a half there. We just weren't in church. And, and Kimberly was like, Hey, it was father's day, 2021. She's like, Hey, what do you want for father's day? And I'm like, honestly, I just want to get back in church because I could tell my kids were nowhere around the, the church environment. And, um, I, I knew that that was missing. And so the consistency that I saw growing up of, Hey, you know, church life is a part of our life and, and just going to church isn't the answer. It's a piece of the puzzle. And so it's being consistent in, hey, we're always going to be in church. Hey, it's being inconsistent in, you know, we talk about scripture. Um, it's being consistent in the school that they're in. We purposely chose because of it's a faith based academia. You know, it's 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 I think it's probably the best school down here. Um, but not everybody can afford to send their kids to private school. And that's OK. But if you can get your kids into academia where it's faith-based, I think that's that's a piece of the puzzle if you can do it. Um, 
letting them see how I treat Kimberly, you know, I mean, there's days we go at it, you know, and like we have hard days sometimes as a couple, but seeing the love that I have for her and the mutual respect that I have for her, um, there's no one magic pill that prepares your kids, for, you know, for that faith-based walk. But it's, I think when I was a kid, the things that I saw that kept me grounded as I grew up as an adult, that's what I'm trying to model for them is, hey, we're always going to be in church. We're not going to make excuses just because you're tired because you stayed out late at a ball game on Saturday. That's not an excuse not to go to church. Um, we're going to serve our community, you know, as Christ served others. We're going to learn to serve in the church. We're going to learn to do sacrificial giving. I mean, think about that. If the church as a whole actually sacrificially gave, I mean, what would that do from a resource standpoint for the church? So, you know, teaching about sacrificial giving, um, and trying to model those things. How do we treat each other? How do we treat our family, our friends, our neighbors? You know, the, the concept of people's value is not based on how we see them, but as how Christ sees them. You know, so when you see somebody who's different than you or who might not have the things you have or the experiences you have, they're no less valuable. And it's because Christ has died for them as well. You know, um, so we have those conversations, but you got to have it at a kid level, you know, six, five, four. You know, we're, we're trying to be consistent in those things. You mentioned when you're talking about that, about taking care of yourself. <clears throat> so I'm curious, what does David do when he has downtime to rejuvenate and refresh? <laughs> you're going to think I'm so country. Um, you are country. You're from Long Island. I know. <laughs> I like to watch gun smoke. <laughs> but no, um, what's good for me is... Um, I enjoy the outdoors. Um, you and I are both outdoorsmen. We both grew up in a similar lifestyle. Uh, um, upland game hunting, bird hunting, I enjoyed that. Um, and now, so I, I was really excited. I took my, my oldest on his first hunt this year. I took Kimberly on two hunts this year. So uh, anything that gets me outdoors, if I'm on the water, if I'm out in the field, um, I, 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 a lot of the guys who I work with professionally, like uh, there's a group of 14 of us that we'll go up to Kansas once a year for three or four days. We'll go to Texas for three or four days a year. And um, it's, it's a brotherhood. It's people who understand your stresses. Some of them are a little bit further ahead in life than you are. So they've got a lot of wisdom. Um, anything that gets me outdoors with people who are more wise than I am so I can have good conversation but we're enjoying the outdoors. I mean, sign me up. I that, That's where I want to be. And and now that my kids are able to start doing it, um, you know how it is when you take your kids hunting and they get they harvest their first trophy or their first animal. Or, you know, sometimes you don't see a thing. But just the best conversations you have with the six-year-old or, you know, you got a 16-year-old now. Um, I, you know, I see the farm life that you, your parents have tried to create. And I'm like, that's a family that gets it. You know, it's outdoors with their family, with, with friends and just building relationships. That's where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. When we did the the rapid uh, questions, you mentioned your favorite vacation spot was Montana. And yes. I remember you coming back from uh, going to Glacier and talking about how amazing it was and breathtaking. And I got to take my kids there a, a couple of years ago and just uh, remember your, the conversation and the influence you had just coming back talking about how amazing it was and it is by far of all the places we've gone it's been our most memorable family vacation just to be able to go and uh see 
an amazing uh, landscape and, and enjoy that. And it's definitely good with the people you go with. And right. you also mentioned kind of brotherhood and well, the redeem. That's what we're all about is helping men find those relationships. Cause if we, we aren't careful, we won't cultivate those. Right. We won't grow those. As you know, you can just let life get busy and, and not calendar those activities. Yeah. No, it, you just said calendar. You have to schedule it. Like our, you know, the guys that I fellowship with in Kansas, we've are, I've already paid for that trip for 2024. Yeah. You know, and, and Kimberly is very supportive of it. Um, she Now that she hunts, she wants to go. But she'll tell you, I come back rejuvenated. She sees the difference. And so my fall hunt is scheduled. Um, our family vacations are scheduled. Like we, we do a family vacation once a quarter. It may be three-day getaway. It may be 10 days in another state, you know. But it goes back to scheduling your priorities. Um Put it on the calendar. Pay for it in advance to where you're not carrying that debt if you can. But um, the, uh, the the fellowship is, is so key. Um, guys, like, we can be the best at it and the worst at it of, I'm good. No, I'm good. Like, hey, how you doing today? And I'm good. It's like, but do, are you really? Because I'm yeah. a guy, and I know I'm not good. And um, a lot of us are going through the same struggles or similar struggles. And... It can be, you can be on a desert island sometimes, you know, um, for the longest time down here, um, not being from here, I struggled to build relationships that were not work related because like I was so dedicated to what I was doing professionally. Um, it, it was just hard to find that group of guys that I could identify with because I'm like, well, nobody understands my role. Nobody understands my stressors. Nobody knows what I'm going through. And while they may not know the specifics, they're probably going through something too, you know? Exactly. And and uh, that's what I enjoy about the guys who I hunt with is um, some of them are going through stuff. Some of them have been through some tragic loss. Some of them have been through tremendous marital problems that they just couldn't recover from, you know? And they're willing, we're in a trusted environment and they're willing to open up about it, you know? And so part of the reason I value date night with my wife do I always feel like doing it? No. Does she always feel like doing it? No. But we talk to those that we value their wisdom, and they're like, dude, hey, above all, you have to protect your marriage, you know? And um, sometimes it's hard, you know, because, yes, I love my wife dearly, but we still butt heads. We are two different people, you know? I think we make a great team, but we're also make a great team because we're different people. And so when those differences come, if we don't have that equity invested into the relationship, um, it makes it hard. And we've had some hard years. We've been married uh, 11 years now. And uh, there's been some hard years, you know, and, and just in that short amount of time. But um, I'd like to think we're at our strongest we've ever been. Still hard, you know. It takes work. And, and you, you know that. I mean, I think most of the guys listening know that. But um, prioritize yeah. your wife. Yeah. It takes work. And you got you to gotta choose, make that choice daily to – like you said, put others before yourself, see value in others, yeah. uh, especially your spouse. Who is, you know, the things that you're attracted to in the beginning are the differences. And yet when you were married for a while, those are the things driving you crazy. Yeah. It's like, when are you going to change? It's like, I, I'm, I'm not, that's what you married. Yeah. But um, I think it's important that we support our spouses in finding what rejuvenates them. I'm so grateful that Kim is like, Hey, if you want to go hunting for three days, take off. And, um, you know, I, I try and encourage her to go spend some time with her girlfriends. I'm like, I got the kids. We're good. You know, the house may be a wreck when you get back, 
but we're all alive, you know, and, and, and go, you know, and, and make it happen for your spouse, you know, um, help them find what rejuvenates them. Um, the core people that you rely on, um, find ways to help them rejuvenate. Um, my, my top guy, he's been with me for 11 years. Uh, I'm paying for his entire family to go to Disney World for seven days in May just to say, hey, dude, thanks for sticking with me. You know, you've been with me when we were short staff. You've been with me when I was a jerk just because I was so stressed out and didn't know how to process my emotions. Like, you know, you, you stood by me. He was the first person I saw after Hurricane Laura. When I'm sitting out in my pasture and my house is just destroyed and like I'm shaking, you know, because I'm it's, it's trauma. I, I see now that it was trauma. He was the first guy that pulled up, you know. Um, so it's like, Hey, take your family and go rest and rejuvenate, you know, uh, your inner circle, make, make sure you're talking to them and not high level stuff, like get into the deep stuff, you know, um, that's the stewarding relationships. David, that's great wisdom. Um, last thing I really would love for you to share. Is there any leadership insight that you think at the end of the day, if, if, I'm an up and coming business leader or just a person who knows I have influence. What is that bit of information you would give them that you feel like is one of the greatest tools that you've learned as a leader? Hmm. Well, I get one point. All right. Let me. <laughs> Leadership is about, <clears throat> it's about relationships. Your top leaders. Yes. You want them to get results. Um, you have to be willing to invest in people. Knowing people will fail, people will let you down, people will leave. Um, if we're thinking from an organizational standpoint, um, there may come a day when they outgrow your organization. Um, in stewarding people, investing in who they are. It's not just telling them your wisdom, but it's putting forth your time, your emotion, sometimes your money, um, your assets, defining what does it mean to truly sacrificially invest in people, knowing that as people, as humans, we're flawed. You know, managing your expectations of people um, and I'm not talking about their performance. Don't invest in somebody just because of what you get out of them. As leaders, we have resources and life experiences. It goes back to the legacy concept. What are you doing with your time, talent, treasure, and life experiences to pour into people? Um, you've heard the phrase, we stand on the giants that come before us. I can name the giants of my life that I am where I am in no small part because of their sacrifice to help me get here. As leaders, we've got to pay that forward. You know, um, you truly want to have influence. You have to be willing to give and expect nothing in return. You know, you have to be saying, what can I give or do that sets the next generation up for success? We grew up in the country. We got country terms. You're planting trees in shade that you may never sit in, you know, um, I heard somebody say it a while back, like, I'm building a kingdom. I'm not building a castle. Having a bigger perspective than what's right here in front of me and what's in my generation, 
You know, your perspective has to go further than that. And understanding you may make decisions that impact people you never meet in, in places that you never go. Um, I, I heard somebody say leadership is taking people you never thought could go there to places they never thought they could go for reasons they never thought they had or never knew they had. You know, it's having that vision for what's bigger and then purposefully investing in people to get them there. You know, knowing they may never say thank you. You may never see one ounce of return from it. But keeping that perspective of that's what leaders do. You know. And it's very apparent that's how your faith is lived out in the workplace. You are investing in people. And at the end of the day, when you look at Christ's life and you see how he lived, yes. it was about people and about relationships and about serving. And leadership is most often about what you give, not what you receive. Yeah, uh, you're practicing that daily with what you do there, uh, leading your business, loving your family, serving your community, uh, love what you're doing with uh, legacy and leaving a legacy for your kids. And not only for your kids, but for the kids of your employees, those mm-hmm. around you, relationships and friends you have, uh, not only to this generation, but hopefully many generations to come. It's, it's impressive. Thank you for what you do. Well, thank thank you. you for loving and serving well. Thank you for uh, uh, making a difference there in Lake Charles, Louisiana and uh, around the world. I mean, you are just by the way you're living your life there, you and Kimberly and, and the kids, and excited to hear what you have in store and what God's going to do. So Thank it's, you. It's going to be fun. Uh, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks Love for having, having me. Fellow uh, Clay Countyan in the, the, the show from, from Alabama, it's, it's a pleasure uh, great to connect today. Thank you for sharing your insight, and we welcome you back anytime you want to join us. Hey, thank you so much, Nate. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. God bless, man. We want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Redeemed Man podcast. We hope you come away with this episode feeling energized and better equipped to face life's challenges. If today's message resonated with you, I invite you to go wherever you're listening to this episode and leave us a comment or a review. Tell us what you enjoyed in this episode, or better yet, tell us what topics you want to hear more of in the future. Above all, we hope you remember that no matter how broken you feel, God's love is for everyone and hope is within reach.